It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Crossover Wednesday with our friend Brian Peacock from Locked On 49ers to get you set for the NFC Championship Green, The Green Bay Packers are an NFC finalist, no matter what you want to say about them. Worst 13-3 and team ever. Fraudulent. Whatever you want to say, you also have to say that they are an NFC finalist. Yesterday, we talked about the, the roadmap to success for this defense. And the, the roadmap to success really for winning the game. And I started with the defense. I went back and watched the first seven drives of week 12. And it's, it's wild. But the first seven drives for the Packers, it's still a two-score game. It is still 13, 10, or 7 to nothing in that span. I wanted to see, okay, what's going on with, with the plan? That was something that kept coming up. Oh, the, we, didn't, we didn't have a great plan. We didn't have a great mindset. We didn't have a great week of practice. There's a lot of different factors coming in there. Green Bay's offense by DVOA had its worst performance of the season, even adjusting for how good the 49ers' defense was. And that's not a surprise when you go back and watch. First drive ends on a fumble. I posted this on Twitter. I am still not convinced that for sure that's a fumble. And we just moved on. Everyone just moved on. Yep, definitely a fumble. We'll just move on. Okay, fine. We'll we'll say it's a fumble. Green Bay's defense was playing well enough to keep them in the game. It was the offense that didn't hold up its end. The next three drives end in drops on third down. There's the Allison drop where he is open. Devontae Adams, third and 13, he's open for a first down drop. And they had a, a fun little, it was a receiver screen to Jamal Williams. He was split out wide. And they had it set up if Jamal Williams makes the catch. I don't know why that's not Aaron Jones. I think, frankly, if it were run today, it'd be Tyler Irvin. And Matt Schneidman wrote a great piece for The Athletic about how different this team is than it was then. Jared Valdir, Tyler Irvin. There's there's a, a definite impact in those moves. And Alan Lazard moving into the number two receiver role would have affected a lot that happens in this game. Geronimo Allison is a net negative for this team. So, okay, so fumble, drop, drop, drop. The next drive ends on downs. It's that fourth and one call. 
that Matt LaFleur said he didn't have a problem with the call. He he felt good about going forward on fourth down. By the way, so did I. 10-3, yeah, you feel okay about 10-3. Maybe you feel better about 10-3 than you otherwise would. But then all of a sudden it's 13-3 and it's like, okay, well then what is? how does the three points really help you? Eventually it becomes you know, 20 to three. Okay. How much does that three points really help you going forward on fourth down was not the problem. It was the play. And Matt LaFleur understands that. And, and it's not a coincidence. I don't think that after this game, Green Bay went on a run and the offense looked better. They score 31 points against the giants and they, they move Alan Lazard into a more prominent role. After that turnover on downs, the next drive is that gorgeous throw from Aaron Rodgers to Jimmy Graham down the field that he just can't finish. He makes the catch. He has it. And as he's going down, he allows the defender to jar it free. So of this, and then the final of those seven is a simple incomplete. Rodgers forces the ball to Aaron Jones. Those are going to happen. Okay, that's not, that's not the end of the world. You're not going to convert every third down. Green Bay, as good as they were on third down against the Seahawks, they didn't convert every one. So... The first drive, don't turn the ball over. Okay, that's worth seven points. Don't turn the ball over on downs. Okay, that's worth at least three points. That 10-point swing already is huge, and it changes everything after that. I mean, we have to remember, this: we cannot make this evaluation ceteris paribus. It's not true that the rest of the game plays out exactly as it did If those plays don't happen, if Green Bay can extend one of those drives, if they can put points on the board, if they can just if they can just get something going, this has been an issue all year. They'll go through lulls and they just need that spark. And at times it's been Devontae Adams, at times it's been Aaron Jones, at times it's been Aaron Rodgers, at times it's been Alan Lazard, at times it's been Jamal Williams, it's time at times it's been Tyler Irvin. They have guys who can do it. Green Bay just didn't get execution from any of them. Aaron Rodgers didn't play well in this game. Devontae Adams didn't play well. Geronimo Allison really didn't play well. And I I thought the deployment of the running backs was, was a problem. Aaron Jones didn't get enough touches. That doesn't seem like after what we saw on Sunday, you know, they come out with that, with that plan on Sunday after a week of self scout. And they felt like that was really important to them. They, they were able to break some tendencies. They were able to find some things that work. And they were able to put together a game plan that reflects who they want to be. It didn't look like that against the 49ers. They didn't play like this team. The motion was down. The creativity was down. And the execution was down. So now they have a formula. I wrote about this for Packer Report. Now they have a formula. They just need to execute it because the plan was not that bad against the 49ers. Now, San Francisco threw in some wrinkles they weren't expecting, played a lot more man coverage than they thought, but Green Bay had its opportunities. It didn't take advantage of them. And that, as as much as anything else, was a driving factor in them getting their butts kicked. The reopening is right around the corner, and there's a chance that no one has seen your balls in months. Don't ruin your first post-quarantine date with a ball fro. Would you show up on the first day of school without a haircut? Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Do you really want the next person to see your down there hair to think you weren't expecting anyone to see it? No one wants that. 
The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your snags will be reduced while preparing yourself for post quarantine life. The Perfect Package 3.0 comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, water resistant, cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver, the perfect one to punch to keep your one to punch fresh all day long. Subscribers to the Peak Hygiene Plan get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean so you can too. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, so treat yourself for making it through quarantine with the Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code locked on at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code locked on. Matt Williamson brings the scouts perspective to the locked on NFL podcast. You got to talk 2018 quarterbacks. Josh Allen has the best quarterback record aside from Lamar Jackson, but the lowest completion percentage other than Josh Rosen. He's just been a complete garbage for the most part when he's been allowed to play. Yeah, let's go throw a couple nuggets out on Allen. And I know he's a lot bigger, a lot stronger, but he kind of reminds me of early career RG3. What's kind of remarkable about Allen is he is so gifted. And he got better, I thought, this past year, which is encouraging with the anticipatory throws and the touch of his throws. But his deep ball passing is like the worst in the league. Hear Matt with co-host Brian Peacock every day on Locked On NFL. Subscribe or follow today wherever you get your podcasts. Crossover Wednesday and hopefully not the crossover Wednesday uh, finale for Locked on Packers, uh, but it will be for one of us, Locked on Packers, Locked on 49ers, Brian Peacock on the show. And, and Brian, you led last time, and it didn't work out so great for me or the Packers. Uh, I, I have a lot of crow that I have to eat, and, and hopefully you will not make me do it live on air. So we'll see, though. Uh, but a lot yeah, to get great. to in this NFC Championship matchup. Just do you have a, a top line thought as the Packers come back in here? Kyle Shanahan said, don't be stupid to his team. Essentially a way to say this is not going to go down the same way and, and we're going to have to be prepared for for everything that that Green Bay has to throw at them. Yeah, absolutely. I love the don't be stupid line. He's like, what's your message for your team? Don't be stupid. This is a, a really good NFL team with the Hall of Fame quarterback. And the game script is not going to be the same as it was the last time. And speaking of the last time, and we're changing it up here. You're leading the show instead of me because I think maybe the Packers might need a little extra mojo because I have to ask you right off the top, and my listeners will probably want to know, in your opinion, Peter, are the San Francisco 49ers a great team or the greatest team? Well, they're they are not a fraudulent team. I can say that for sure. For sure, uh, they are certainly better than I thought they were, uh, and and I will absolutely cop to that. Um, I I actually took some heat from my own listeners last week because I was very confident in the matchup. I felt really good about Green Bay's ability to. Uh, win at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, which, by the way, they did. And they were sort of like, well, but you said that against San Francisco, and they kicked our ass. So 
are we supposed to believe this sort of like the boy who cried wolf kind of thing? And this is, I go, I keep going back to this. I'm like, guys, this is why all I care about is being right. Because if, if what, you know, if, if I start getting into, you know, trying to please the fans every week or worrying about my own feelings, then it, this, this all gets out of whack. I just want to be right. That's it. I just want to be right. And I was wrong. I was wrong about the 49ers. I was wrong about that game. But I also feel like, uh, it, there was a lot of wonky things that happened in that game. It was the best offensive performance by the 49ers by DVOA, the third best off- or defensive performance by DVOA, and for the Packers, it was their worst on both sides of the ball by a mile. I, I think if you are Kyle Shanahan, that's exactly why you're going, look, this is not going to happen again. again. Right, and I think, well, I mean, we saw last week with the Minnesota Vikings that you know very well, and I think it was a similar story for them. Their worst DVOA on both sides of the ball because they were thoroughly dominated by dominated by the 49ers. So some of it is you don't play your best game. You're you're in another house. You're traveling. You're on the road. 49ers are a good team, and some things go wrong. But at the same time, the 49ers are for, forcing opponents into having the worst offense they've had all year because they are really sound in the back end and they're fast at linebacker, and their front is ferocious and gets after the quarterback. But I think the number one thing that I saw, and I just rewatched that first Packers 49ers game, is is the biggest difference in what's going to happen in this game is game script, and that started with that Rodgers fumble, 49ers one play, touchdown. Now you're in a hole, and you're down two scores in the first quarter, and we even saw it with the Titans and obviously very different quarterbacks trying to come back, but we saw it with the Titans and Ravens. The sixth seed goes to the one seed. Boom, boom, you go up two scores. All of a sudden, your opponent is playing one-handed, and that makes things infinitely more difficult for your football team. The difference with the Ravens that is maybe different than the the Packers and is definitely different than a team like the Chiefs who could come back is they're built to be able to, especially the Chiefs, are built to be able to throw, and they were going to throw it, and, and they could come back from a deficit like that. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, they can come back a little bit better than maybe that Ravens offense is built to throw. But if you get in a two-score hole in the first quarter, it just makes your life infinitely more difficult. And you just change that one thing, the Rodgers fumble with the 49ers picking it up and taking it in from inside the five-yard line uh, early in that game, I think everything changes from there, right? Yeah, and and it's not just the Rodgers fumble. You go back, and, and we talked about this on the show yesterday. There are five possessions after that for the 49ers where they do pretty much nothing. I mean, there's two field goal drives, but there's also two drives that that only go backward. And Green Bay's defense was getting after Jimmy G. And Zadarius Smith was putting his stamp on the game. And that eventually stopped because Green Bay's offense couldn't get anything going. They couldn't keep um, their, their defense off the field. And they couldn't they couldn't do anything to match points, and they couldn't keep it close. And then in the second half, you know the the efficiency was ridiculous. San Francisco generates a couple big plays. Green Bay has done a great job in the last month and a half at limiting big plays. They did an excellent job against the Seahawks, not allowing those hard play actions to turn into shot plays, which is where the Seahawks are absolutely devastating with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I'd be fascinated to see what happens. If Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers do fall down, uh, you know, 10 or 14, because then how does that affect their game script? Now, obviously, it's a chore to get there. The 49ers have not had to deal with that all year because that defense 
is so sound. And I think that's the uphill battle for the Packers is is trying for them to stay on that game script and knock the 49ers off of it. This this has been a team, though, that they just did it to the Seahawks. I mean, we saw they, they go on the first possession. They go down the field at 7-0. If, if this is a game that's 14-0 or 14-3 in the first quarter, I, I, it's it's a different game. Of course, that's how that's how football works. Being up is better than being down, of course. Yeah. Um, the, I think what is interesting, though, for the Packers' defense is when the 49ers can play with balance, that is everything for them because Kyle Shanahan is a play-action master. If you can take away one of those things, and I'm wondering if Green Bay is going to try and do that, if maybe they just play a lot of two-deep coverage like they did against Seattle and just say, if you want to run it, we dare you. If you want to go on 12-play drives, good for you. Go do it. I wonder if that is the kind of thing that Mike Patton may, may try. And I'm wondering if, if, from your perspective, how have you seen uh, the 49ers in games where they have struggled offensively? What has been the key for them? The number one key for the 49ers offense is that the defense continues to give the ball back to the offense. And mm-hmm. I think the 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 biggest example of that, and obviously the quarterback situation is much different for the Steelers in week three than it is with the Packers. But the defense after five, like the 49ers tried to lose that football game on offense, turning the ball over five times. And the defense were like, no, it's cool. We're just going to keep giving it back to you until you eventually score enough points and, and we win this game narrowly. Obviously, you give the Packers that many chances. You give any good team and good offense that many chances. Eventually, they're going to score a little bit. But the defense all year long, even not to that extreme, has been able to give the ball back to the 49ers offense time and time again. And even if the offense sputters a little bit, then they're able to get it right. And eventually, Shanahan is able to dial up some plays. They get some shot plays in the run game or they make a big play in the passing game or are able to just you know, slowly, methodically move down the field with some long drives. Jimmy Garoppolo has been really good on third downs to keep drive alive, uh, really good in the fourth quarter and the end of games to put points on the board when the 49ers needed them. So that's really been what the 49ers have been able to do, even when things didn't go perfect. What's crazy is their their run game has been a big play run game all season. They've had a lot of big runs that make their yards per carry go up and skew in a way, but What's crazy about the game last week is they ran it 47 times. Mm-hmm. There was only two plays that didn't get positive yardage. One of them was a kneel down, I think, and their longest run was 11 yards. So it was literally five, six yards every single time. So even if you try to have, um, you know, play deep, don't allow the big plays, don't allow Kittle to get loose, don't allow any big plays in the passing game, they could still kill you if they can consistently run the ball and and get four or five yards of time. It's it, it's so tough with that defense continually giving the ball back to the offense, and, and they're so good at running the ball. And then if they get some big plays on top of it, it's lights out. Well, assess for me what you saw from the offense last week because the final score says it was pretty good. And I don't, I don't know that I felt the same way. It seemed like, to your point, the best thing about it was the defense's ability to put them in position to succeed. You get the big turnover because this was a 14-10 game at halftime. The interception turned everything for them. And you look at the final numbers for Jimmy G, they're they're hardly inspiring. I mean, this is this is not exactly what you think of of uh, you know, a Kyle Shanahan offense, certainly not the best that that Jimmy G has looked this season. I I do wonder if 
that sort of uh, that too deep safety look had the, the Vikings been able to do a little bit more offensively or not turned it over would have been a more effective strategy in that game. It's hard to say because the 49ers didn't have to. They realized right. basically essentially it was the you know it was the offensive series right after the Richard Sherman interception which was early early to mid third quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh as soon as that interception happened, 44-yard drive, eight straight runs. The 49ers threw the ball maybe twice the rest of the game. They ran a screen and a shovel pass. They basically said, "You know what? We can end this game and we can end it by going directly through the center of your heart. So we're just going to do that. And they didn't have to throw the ball more. If they needed to throw the ball more, I think they could have found some luck there and maybe tried to to figure out some things and make some big plays. But a really nice play by Eric Kendricks to in zone coverage to make his way back and pick off a ball. Uh, He was really aggressive and he was really trying to jump some routes and make some big plays. And he did make that one big play. I think eventually the 49ers could have done something in the passing game enough if their defense didn't continually give them back the ball, but they realized they didn't have to. They, It was almost like – I'm, I'm trying to think of another analogy that would be – it was essentially like all they needed to do was move the runners over, you know, safety squeeze, get a run home because they had a pitcher on the mound that was throwing a perfect game. That That's basically what it was for the 49ers. They didn't throw the ball more. They didn't – have any big plays and big passing plays because they didn't have to and they stopped trying and and Garoppolo completed 11 passes and they just stopped throwing the ball because they knew they could beat the 40 or they could beat the Vikings in a certain way and it was pretty demoralizing for the Vikings because late in the game they were still punting the ball away because they knew it was over too that that was it was one of the most dominating performances I've seen in, in a playoff game and I don't think the end score shows how much the 49ers physically and mentally dominated the Vikings. No, and, and the the one impressive drive for the Vikings was a big play uh, where the defender slipped. And, you know, it wasn't like Stephon Diggs is running wide open, but it, 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 that was what it, what it took. And, and I do think it's going to take some, some big play luck for Green Bay to win on Sunday. A lot more to get to here on Crossover Wednesday, and we will get to more of it right after this. All right, Brian. This is a fascinating matchup with a a group of coaches who are intimately familiar with one another. Kyle Shanahan was on the Mike Pettin staff. Kyle and and Matt LaFleur go way back. Matt LaFleur and Robert Sala are uh, friends also going way back. And Matt LaFleur's brother is on the 49ers staff. It seemed like San Francisco had a clear coaching advantage in that matchup, but I think the offense and defense for Green Bay has found some things over the last few weeks. I think it's fair to say that at this point, the 49ers have a a clear coaching advantage based on what we saw and what we've seen over the course of the season. Are you you thinking that the game plan is going to be more or less the same? Are there going to be new wrinkles? What are you expecting in terms of approach from the 49ers on Sunday? I think the approach from the 49ers will be much of the same, and I I don't think they will change approaches until they realize they have to. Defensively, they don't do a lot different anyway, and you you might see a couple of blitzes here and there. They did get Rodgers on a blitz. They they do have Quan Alexander and D. Ford in this game that they didn't have the last time, so that will help them get home, I think, with four just rushing D Ford and Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner and Nick Bosa. That's, you know, that's where it all comes from because they can get home with four. 
But if they can't, they can bring some blisters too. And then you have Quan Alexander in there. He's a big energy guy. They're just really healthy right now on defense. So I think they believe that they can line up defensively, play sound football, and if not just beat the Packers there, keep things close enough. And Devontae Adams is going to get his. He was targeted 12 times last time. I know he went big against the Seahawks last week. And and his seven catches, he, he was the only guy that scored for the Packers, if I'm not mistaken, in the first. What was it? He had the touchdown, right? Yeah, it was seven catches for like 40-something yards and a touchdown for Devontae Adams the first time the 49ers played. If he gets open a couple times against Emmanuel Mosley, who's going to start out there at right cornerback, that's okay as long as they do the rest and they're able to stop the run game and and try to make the Packers play a little bit more one-dimensional, which they've done a really good job of doing throughout the season. There's been a couple of drives here and there where up front they've they've gotten away from their their sound defense against the run and teams have gone down the field and done a little bit against them in the run game but then they usually clean that up and it's not an all game long thing it's a series here series there failure for the defense but last week they had none of that i think the the packers should come out and play a lot better than the vikings did obviously but i think it's going to be more the same where the 49ers try to play sound defense get the ball back to their offense run the ball well enough some play action here and there. And then if things get close and things get tight deeper in the game, we're going to see more of the misdirection, more play action, more just a little bit deeper into Kyle Shanahan's playbook. You saw a little bit the first time there was, and it was my favorite play of the season maybe because the, the 49ers run out there in a three tight end set with one receiver. The one receiver is Richie James. Who's normally the kick returner. So it's obviously a package they've, kind of you know worked on throughout the week and something yeah. specifically built for that and that was the big play to to uh to George Kittle who who got things going in that game uh, offensively for the 49ers he was one of the the main pieces that the 49ers were able to put up those 37 points against the Packers so i would look for some things like that if the 49ers think they need them and they can go deep into the playbook i would reference a game like the 49ers at Saints where man both offensive coaches just emptied their playbooks and that was fun to watch and they were throwing haymakers left and right and they they had so many good play designs but then the 49ers will play some vanilla schemes as well when they think they don't need it so I think it'll be like Kyle Shanahan with some back pocket stuff hope he can play straight up football and beat the Packers up front play sound defense run the ball a little play action and he's hoping that that's enough but i think we could see some fun things too if this thing's a lot closer which i expect it to be yeah i went back and watched just the uh the first half defensive possessions for the packers in that week 12 matchup and noticed that it it did seem like they played a much more vanilla game plan early they were also out to a lead so they don't have to take risks it was a lot of screens it was rhythm passing game and Green Bay was able to get pressure. They were able to to play the run well enough. And then, you know, when they when they needed it, that was when you pull out the misdirection shot play to, to George Kittle. One of the things the Packers, Brett Coleman, who is a, a really smart um, one of these you know film grinder guys who who really digs in and and does really interesting videos about. Uh, the X's and O's side of this had a video this week about how predictable the Packers are by personnel in terms of what coverage they're likely to play. Against bigger personnel groupings, they're more likely to play zone. And against 11 personnel, they're more likely to play man coverage. And I think Kyle Shanahan took advantage of some of that, you know, on the on the George Kittle shot play, on the Debo Samuel touchdown, expecting to get a certain type of coverage. Green Bay showed it. And I, I think on offense and defense – they were able to self-scout in this bye week. They were a little bit more creative. 
with their personnel and and the way that they deployed their defensive backs against Seattle. Um, and, and this this wrinkle with Sedarius Smith as a rover has been a game changer for their for their run defense and their pass rush because he'll line up over the a gap, he'll line up over the guard, he'll line up a little bit of everywhere. They run games with him, twists and and stunts and all kinds of stuff to get him free. That, to me, that is a key here. Handicap for me what's going on with the with the 49ers offensive line because when I went back and looked at it, they are one of the best teams in football at avoiding pressure. But when you look at the individual players on the line, especially on the interior, it's really a, an unimpressive group guard to guard. Now, the offensive tackles, we know Joe Staley is an outstanding player. I think Mike McGlinchey is a is an ascending future maybe not Joe Staley caliber caliber player, but but a very good player to be. What's going on with the interior there? And and is that a place that that you would have some concerns if you're the 49ers at Green Bay with Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith could take a, a bit of advantage of? Yeah, Zadarius Smith is the one player that I think the 49ers should be worried about for good reason. Yeah, he played really well against the 49ers the first time. I think it was one and a half sacks and He's just a monster, and so and he stuffed the block. So the 49ers having Joe Staley on the field obviously is huge. Mike McGlinchey's played really good on the other side. Still a better run blocker than a pass blocker. He had the best run blocking grade of his career last week. Um, and he can get beaten occasionally in the past game, but he's been generally really good there. The, the middle of the 49ers offensive line hasn't gotten great grades but they've just been really solid and they've been fine throughout the year and and there's two things that really factor into the 49ers maybe protecting better than even their talent up front you would think they would be able to number one is getting the ball out quickly Jimmy Garoppolo has gotten the ball out as quick as uh, I think the top it's varied but he's top five I, I haven't looked at the final numbers from the regular season but he was top five most of the year and top two for a lot of the year with getting the ball out very quickly under two and a half seconds and then their run game and the misdirection stuff Kyle Shanahan does a great job of holding defenders there at least for that split second so they have at least a thought in their mind okay what's this player doing that's flashing in front of me and and just pausing that pass rush enough with the run game with misdirection with motion to help protect his quarterback and, and help protect Jimmy Garoppolo and I think Pointing out the pass rushers is, is pretty key in this game because that might be what is the final factor is can Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey block the Smiths? If Zadarius Smith is moving around, can the guys on the inside hold up and keep Jimmy Garoppolo clean? And then obviously the strength of the 49ers defense is that pass rush. Can they get after Aaron Rodgers again? Can they sack him five times? I think that is going to be probably key number one for this football game. Yeah, I just looked it up. Jimmy Garoppolo tied for fourth in terms of average time okay. to attempt, under two and a half seconds, tied with uh, Mitch Trubisky and Phillip Rivers. It's it's a very weird mix at the top because Andy Dalton was quickest, Drew Brees was second quickest, Fitzpatrick third, Phillip Rivers fourth, Trubisky, Garoppolo, Kyle Allen, Kyler Murray, Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston. So it's sort of like, are we sure getting the ball out quick is good? <laughs> If that's the group of guys, yeah, I guess. And then, so, but well, then there's two p- potential Hall of Famers and Jimmy Garoppolo probably going to be in the Super Bowl. So it's yeah. it's an interesting mix there. No, it's it is interesting. I think the one thing about Jimmy Garoppolo too is when you factor in yards per attempt, Jimmy Garoppolo has been very good there. So they've been able to get 
the ball out quick, but also make big plays. If you looked at Trubisky's, it's probably a lot of dink and dunk stuff mm-hmm. and some some screen stuff. And so when you mix those two things together with the yards per attempt and some big plays that the 49ers offense is making, and they're doing a really good job running after the catch, which has really become you know the Kyle Shanahan staple. If you want to know what receiver Kyle Shanahan likes in the draft, is the guy who can run with the ball in his hands and who can separate quickly against man coverage. Those are the two things he covets most, and he doesn't really care really how they're shaped aside from that. But getting it out quickly but still having – the ability to make big plays on offense has been really the key to what Jimmy Garoppolo's game has been this year and what the passing game has been for the 49ers. And of course him being strong on third downs and very good in the fourth quarter. All right, Brian, it is the moment of truth prediction time. The 49ers are depending on where you look, seven, seven and a half point favorites. It is the Sunday late game on Fox. How do you see this one playing out? Obviously, it won't surprise you for me to pick the 49ers in this Mm -hmm. game. I think they absolutely have an advantage personnel-wise. I think they're coming in confident. I think they're coming in healthy. They're just about as healthy as they've been all season. Last week, they had all 53 members of their active roster practice on the same day for the first time since week two, I think it was. So for those reasons, I definitely think the 49ers should be favored as they are. I think seven points, it's climbed to seven and a half, you said. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I think it started out at seven. So, yeah, money's going in on the 49ers side, even being uh, favored by seven. Uh, the the Levi's Stadium crowd has really been a factor this year. Seven feels about right. I think it might be a higher scoring game than the over-under at 45 just because the Packers are going to score more than they did last time. It's not going to be you know an, an eight-point offensive output for the Green Bay Packers in this one. So, I would say something like 31-24, 49ers by seven is, is what I like. Uh, I, I know the 49ers defense is really good. I know Zadarius Smith and that pass rush and the Packers defense won't allow the 49ers to get 37 again. But I just think both offenses are going to be a little bit better. And if if it goes under, I think that heavily favors the 49ers. Yeah, I'm with you. I think there's, there's too many places where I feel like the 49ers have – um, advantages and and last time I was on the show I talked about the the in the trenches thing you know the ability for Green Bay to block the 49ers front and vice versa the the 49ers inability to block the Packers front and and that advantage for Green Bay was negated almost right away with Brian Balaga going down and having to play Alex Light that is no longer the case if Brian Balaga can go on Sunday and then gets hurt or or for whatever reason can't go. His backup is Jared Valdir, who played pretty well against Jadavion Clowney. So they they actually have a reasonable NFL player that they can put in there. So I, I think that that stuff is still true. But with D Ford coming back, um, I, I think the, the the 49ers and the Packers, it, it's pretty close in terms of what we should expect. I think that's going to be a stalemate. And on the back end, I just think San Francisco is more disciplined. Um, they have more guys playing better. And then offensively, the X factor being George Kittle. I, I don't know that Green Bay has an answer for him. I think I think the Packers offense is going to play much better. I think the defense is also going to play better, but not losing by 30 is not the same as as playing well enough to win or, or, or finding enough advantages to win. So I, I like the 49ers in this game to win but not cover. I think it's something like 27-21. So it's close, but I don't think they cover – and I think it's going to be a really, really good game. I know that there's a lot of sentiment out there that this is just going to be a boat race. 
I don't think it's going to be that. I think it's going to be a hard-fought, intense game that goes down uh, for for whatever whatever team. It's going to be, you know, the game will be in doubt in the fourth quarter. And a lot of Devontae Adams lining up on the left side of the offense versus Emmanuel Mosley. It's going to be another matchup there where Mosley and he's been. And by the way, you, you mentioned earlier the Stephon Diggs touchdown last week against the 49ers. After that play, they they pulled Akella Witherspoon out of the game, put Emmanuel Mosley in the game, and from that point forward, it's not just because of that one personnel switch, but the next 24 offensive plays for the Vikings, they gained a total of eight yards. So even with Diggs and Thielen, they still weren't able to get loose and make a lot of plays against the 49ers secondary. So if they, if they can play that kind of football again on defense, it's just they're just a, a too hard of a team to beat. I think that's the reality. Right now, they are just too hard a team to beat. And uh, if it is, I think no matter the outcome, if the Chiefs win in the AFC, and we'll know by game time, I think there's no bad outcome for NFL fans when it comes to a potential Super Bowl matchup. Either we get a rematch of the first Super Bowl in the 100th season in the NFL. It's 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 Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers, Andy Reid against his old team, and looking for his first Super Bowl win, or it's the best team in the NFC all season against the the team in the AFC that absolutely no one wants to play and probably the team that would have been the best team in the AFC all season had Patrick Mahomes been healthy. So no matter what the outcome, it is good for NFL fans. Brian, this is great. And uh, no matter what, we will not do this again until next year uh, at the soonest. So uh, it's, it's uh, have a good offseason. Enjoy the game. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Peter. And I'm just looking for another. I mean, I grew up 90s Packers 49ers in the play important games this is what it's all about I love it so I agree with you there are no losers this weekend all right I want to thank Brian again for joining the show maybe switching up the the mojo allows us to uh to to change things I know I said last week that that uh, nothing you do or think is going to change the outcome but I just wanted to have a little fun with Brian there so um I don't think Anything we did on the show affects the outcome of the game. But look, some of you might. And if the Packers win, you'll be like, hey, you need to you need to make sure you do that for all the all the crossover Wednesdays from now on. Matt LaFleur is three and oh in rematches. Now, that's Lions. That's Vikings. That's Bears. Oh, my. But this is the first one that he gets to come in off a loss. How does he respond? How what kind of plan does he put together? Does he stick with what worked in Seattle? This is a defense that wants to play a similar way. The linebackers are fast. Can they find ways to exploit their aggressiveness? Can Brian Bulaga stay healthy? There's there's plenty of questions, but the more I look at it, the more I think there is a, a more clear road to Green Bay's success in this game. Doesn't mean it's, it's more likely to happen significantly so. They're seven-point underdogs for a reason. They're going to have to play a great game to beat the 49ers. But there is a path to it. You can you can create one. You can draw one up. And if Green Bay follows the script, they can get the upset and get to a Super Bowl. So that would that would certainly be a signature win for Aaron Rodgers and and more so for Matt Lafleur as we move forward here. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920-341-3775 to stay 
Locked on Packers. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, but why stop now? Check out the daily Locked On Podcast Network for your favorite college team. Find it right now in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.